The following program is brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations, and the views and opinions may not necessarily reflect the views and opinions of this station. Today on the Travel Guys. The drama that played out in Washington, D.C. this week overflowed into the air traffic system as passengers pushed the envelope in the sky. And the new travel advisory says you should self-quarantine for 10 days when you return home from out-of-state travel. Details next in the Travel News. In our Smarter Traveler segment coming up at 320, we have two tips to help you when you start taking to the skies again. They address mask wearing for the junior travelers and the longest flight first rule. Tonopah, Nevada has a new hotel. Well, actually an old hotel made new. The owners of the famous haunted Mizpah have owned the, own, opened the Belvada just across the street. We'll take you for a visit to this new queen of the desert at 335. Step back from the baggage claim. Not only a practical idea for the airport, but maybe it works in other situations. Jason Barger is our guest at 345. Gather around the radio, kids, and listen while Grandpa talks to you about the olden days, when people used to fly to faraway places in aluminum tubes, sail the high seas, and wander across the land. And way back then, they had this radio show, and it was called The Travel Guys. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. Welcome, welcome, my friends, to another edition of the Travel and Entertainment Guys, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Here we are turning the corner of a of another Sunday. Good to be with you. Mark, I uh, hope all is well on uh, your side of... Uh of uh, Folsom Boulevard? <laughs> it is. I'm just, just down the street from you. If I go outside and wave, well, I'll climb the tree, maybe. Well, maybe not. The squirrels are happy here, though. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. Yeah, they they stashed uh, they stash a lot of their stuff out behind my door in the back here, <laughs> so then they come and get it in the wintertime. So sometimes I help Very them good. find things and stuff like that. If you see a guy out talking to the squirrels, then you'll know that it was me. All right. Well, uh, we got a fun show ahead. Got a lot of stuff to cover. Uh, I know we, we uh, you and I were talking before we went on the air here. Uh, we lost uh, we lost a legend in the baseball world recently, yeah. didn't we? Yeah, we did. Um, did you ever get to interview or spend any time with Tommy Lasorda? I never did. I, you know, that's a that's a great question because back in the '90s when I was doing sports talk radio, but no, I I I never did. I just Tommy Lasorda was, you know, I mean, if you're a Giants fan, then you're taught to hate the Dodgers. I mean, not mm -hmm. hate them to death, but you know, hate them as a sports team, and. Uh, Tommy Lasorda, ever the, the, one of the greatest showmen who ever lived. I mean, if you're an entertainer, if you're an athlete, or then you're an entertainer. And, yeah, that's and, right. And one thing that you can do is entertain people. And Lasorda, of course, wore the Dodger blue. And in the old days at Candlestick Park, you had to walk in. There was no choice but to come out of the clubhouse out in right field and walk all the way in to the dugout. 
So it forced Lasorda to walk in front of the fans all the way to the third base dugout. And, of course, the fans would see him coming and they would, you know, greet him in a normal type way that they would greet Tommy Lasorda. And as the fans booed, as the booing got louder, Lasorda would tip his hat to the fans or he would bow to them. And then, of course, the, the booing would get louder. And it was all part of the fun of going to a giant Dodger game was Tommy Lasorda coming on the field and getting booed and, you know, acknowledging the fans and stuff like that. And any time he stuck his head out of the dugout, um, people, the giant fans booed him. But they booed him, I think, as much out of respect as anything else because um, he was a good baseball man. The, here's, here's a really small thing that I found that people may not know. He, had a, he was a major league pitcher for just about 20 minutes. He was 0-4. He had an ERA of six or seven, something over a couple of three years, and the Dodgers decided that he just wasn't going to amount to anything. This is back when the team is in Brooklyn. So they decided to replace him on the roster with another left-hander. The guy, this was a guy that nobody had really ever heard of before, but they've heard of him now. His name was Sandy Colfax. So that was who replaced Tommy Lasorda as an active player, and then Lasorda, of oh, course, became a, a Dodger manager. Anyway, I'm going to be missed. Uh, Steve Sachs uh, was on TV uh, yeah. talking about Tommy the other day, and, and he mentioned that they used to have a little clicker, and every time Tommy would cuss, say a bad <laughs> word, which was frequent, he would click it, click it. And he says one time the guy clicked it 71 times. You know, and, and he says the coincidence is that Tommy was married to the same woman for 71 years. Wow, wow. And in the, in the entire time, he never swore in front of his wife. In front of his wife. Well, he, he a, a quick, famous Tommy Lasorda story. One day, Dave Kingman, I can't remember if he was still playing for the Giants or for another team, might have been Giants, hit three home runs against the Dodgers. And Lasorda in the postgame, interviews went into this tirade which is it's it's infamous you can probably find it online it lasted for about three minutes and every third oh, word yeah. was the f-word and yeah. yeah it was uh, tommy was was known for colorful language but rest in peace tommy lasorda of the dodgers passes at uh, 93 years old all right at the top of every travel guys radio show we uh, get to the travel news mark what you got for us today well let's see here uh, we mentioned in the headlines that some people got a little rowdy on airplane flights to and from Washington, D.C. American and Alaska Airlines apparently had the most problems. Uh, Alaska had a flight with the rowdy people coming back from D.C. to Seattle on uh, Thursday. And uh, 14 of those people who were on that flight will never fly with Alaska Airlines ever again. So uh, they didn't behave themselves. Uh, American Airlines had some some problems. Uh, one of the pilots, uh, this was a flight on Friday uh, from Washington, D.C., back to Phoenix. Um, he got on and uh, said that uh, uh, we'll put this plane down in the middle of Kansas and dump people off if we have to. I don't care. We'll do what it would have to take, so behave yourself when they were they were not, they were refusing to leave their masks on and they were harassing the flight crews and stuff like that. And I'm not sure that that has any place. Um, you know, those people are just trying to do their job in the sky. So no matter what your political beliefs are or what team you're rooting for or whatever, um, that's that, that doesn't go with those people's job description. We told you a few weeks ago, um, back in, in uh, November, actually, that the people in Key West had voted to limit the size and number of cruise ships that would come to their small town. And 
Uh, I endorsed it because I love Key West, and I've been there before when there are three large cruise ships, and you can't move. And the little town is just not quite built to accommodate that number of people. So they said, well, you know, we'll just take ships that are this big and we'll only take so many people at a time. Well, the state government in Florida, the state legislature has introduced a bill to reverse the Key West cruise ship ban. If you recall, we've already had another community that has followed behind that. I want to say somebody up in the Cape Cod area or somebody like that. But anyways... Um, this, uh, the bill's language, if approved by the House and the Senate in Florida and signed into law by the governor, um, will make the recent decision by Key West uh, officials moot. And you got to remember that Florida is a big, big, big cruise ship state. So the, the ships, you know, they, they, their, their home ports are in Fort Lauderdale and Miami, a lot of them. And some days you've got half a dozen ships leaving on any given day, and, and a lot of those are weekly cruises. Those ships leave every week. So it's big business to the state of Florida. Then you've got Little Key West that's down around the corner. If you look on the map in the state, they're just far enough that you'd have to spend a day sailing to it, but still a U.S. destination, a popular destination, but it just wasn't built to handle three or four cruise ships a day. So we'll keep an eye on this and uh, uh, see what happens. United Airlines has joined a growing list of airlines to ban emotional support animals since the new regulations came down a few weeks ago. Um, now this is what it's pretty much coming down to. United, American, Delta, Alaska, and JetBlue say uh, no longer allowing any animals on board in the cabin for free unless it is a service dog. You will have to prove that it is a valid service dog. No more of these certificates and the vests that you bought online for $45. So um, if you've got a service dog and you have a legitimate disability and you can prove at the check at the check-in counter that the dog is trained to help you with a specific disability, then or you probably there's probably some documentation you can do, contact right. the airline. But if you can't do that, the animal doesn't fly in a cabin. So the cockatoos and the parakeets and the ostriches and the Great Danes and all of the rest of them, um, if the animal will fit in a carrying in a carrier and go under or in front of your seat, depending on where you are on the airplane, then that's fine. You can no longer buy an additional seat for the pet, so uh, the number of pets on planes will be limited. For people who have legitimate service animals, they're going to welcome this because they're going to not get as many questions. They won't have as many people competing with them who are not legit and for people who want to take fluffy on the plane with them all i have to say is that there are just way too many fluffies and fluffy pees on the floor in the airport and does other things and gets in fight with other dogs and stuff like that and those of us who don't bring fluffies we're done with it so um, the rules have changed and so if you take fluffy with you you best call the airline before you go out next time I know I will Luis, get... Luis, if you're listening there in the studio, I, I think it's time for us to get Mark a Fluffy. What do you think? <laughs> yes, definitely. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, um, I, I always get Back two away or th- from the Fluffy, Mark. I always get two or three nasty ma- emails after <laughs> I talk about service dogs and emotional support animals. The last time I did this, I got a heart-wrenching uh, thing from... Uh, a, a guy who takes a little poodle on the plane with him and how much it means to him and stuff. And I just said, go to the, I wrote him back and said, go to your doctor and tell him the same story you just told me. It's probably a chance that you can get the dog certified as a service animal. Well, I mean, you know, I mean, depending on how large the poodle is, I mean, people fly with animals under the, uh, 
under their feet uh, mm -hmm. quite frequently, you know, at 95 bucks a, a flight, uh, and, uh, and and all of that's okay. I, you're, you're talking about the fake service animals that people... Exactly. You know, and make and the, the animals up. that really weren't, aren't designed, airplanes are not designed to accommodate large animals. No, they're I'm, not. I'm just they're sorry, not. but they're not. And no. um, so if you travel a lot and you want to take your animal with you, now you know what the rules are. So there you go. Um, they're not likely to change again for a while. That would be my guess. New travel advisory tells Californians to stay within 120 miles of home. It also suggests that if you leave the state, that you should self-quarantine for 10 days when you return. Now, I know that almost everybody is going to ignore this, but um, as a company, we are not. Um, we have a little train trip to Reno that's supposed to go in about a month and a half, and we'll pull it off the board tomorrow morning. Um, sorry to report to sports leisure travelers, but um, this is serious, folks. I mean, we've got people are dying all over the place and all over the country, all over our state. People are sick. Um, we've got vaccines. Maybe we can just obey the rules for a short time here and get over this last hump, get some, get some needles in arms, and we'll be in business. Um, Dr. Fauci says COVID-19 vaccine could become mandatory for travel. Um, he said this last week. Um, so it's not there for sure, but an awful lot of people are sniffing around it. That's all I can say is that it's the idea that you would be uh, tested in that small window beforehand, but better yet that you had the vaccine and that people knew that they would be safe around you. Holland America Cruise Lines has opened its 2022 uh, schedule because demand is so strong for two years away from now. So if you are a Holland America Cruise fan, you should know that. And if you uh, are a fan of other cruise lines, my guess is that they don't have their 2022 schedule open yet. They will soon. Here is a uh, interesting poll from Travelers United. They do a poll every week. Um, this one has you may have you met an interesting connection or made a friend at the airport? How about you, Tom? Ever met? A, I've run into people that I hadn't seen for a long time occasionally at airports. Well, you know, uh, none that none that I carried with me. In yeah. other words, nobody that we didn't exchange numbers or mm -hmm. whatever. You know, there have been some flights where by the time you got to the end of the flight, you really you know, had a bit of a bond going with that individual, but, exactly. you know, n never one that uh, said, well, you know, I'll tell you what, let, let me contact you later on. Yeah. You know, yeah. One, uh, once in a while, once in a while, I've, I've run into people that on flights back to Sacramento and they go, you know, your voice sounds really familiar. <laughs> <laughs> and well, you used to do I'll, half the radio commercials in Sacramento. And, you know, and they were from Sacramento traveling home. And, and when I would finally, uh, reveal who I was it was quite they would know who I was they had they had heard me someplace along the way and you know it meant something to me and it meant a little bit to them as well that's uh, about it the the incoming hypothetically incoming uh, not yet approved incoming secretary of transportation Pete Buttigieg uh, said he uh, proposed to his husband at a gate at Chicago O'Hare um I forget which one it was but uh uh, during a, a layover there. So anyway, this from Travelers United, have you met an interesting connection or made a friend at an airport? 63% of people say no. 24% said yes, they ran into an old friend. I'd fit into that category. Um, yes, met someone I'm still friends with, 9%. That's one out of 11 people. Yes, made a good business connection, 3%. Or yes, met my husband, wife, 1%. Mm -hmm. So one out of, if you go to the grocery store and there's 200 people in there, <laughs> two of them met 
at the airport, maybe not even each other. Uh, National Park has five free days for the upcoming year. I forgot to post it online, so we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. And you have to have a COVID test to get into Canada, and that's your travel news for today. All right, we are the Travel Guys. Find us at TravelGuysRadio.com. Coming up after the break, the Smarter Traveler segment. We're going to make you a smarter traveler. We're going to talk about, uh, well, a couple of tips uh, when taking to the skies. That's next. Hey there, it's Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano. We are the uh, Not Really Traveling, but Travel Guys and uh, Entertainment, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacation. So, um, Mark, it's time to make people a smarter traveler when they take to the skies again, which it is. shouldn't it be is. too awfully long. In fact, I, the, the latest reports show that uh, the number of people flying per day has, has, has gone way up. Well, uh, yeah, it went way up over the holidays, but now it's settled back down into actually a little bit lower than it was before, which uh-huh. is which it would be normal because January is the slowest time in the air. So it it it's it's good that it's coming back down because I I don't think that um, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen to our country with all of these uh, vi- with all of these viral infections, but I just know I don't want it. And I can't get my business back going until people behave themselves. Um, listen, I had a trailer for the uh, Tommy, little Tommy Lasorda thing that we did. How do you know that you're in a real authentic Italian restaurant? There are three pictures behind the register. The Pope, Frank Sinatra, and Tommy Lasorda. <laughs> yeah, if you're in Southern hey. California, that's how you know a real Italian restaurant is a picture of those, of, uh, those, those three guys. Okay, making you a smarter traveler. Um, Let's talk about this first, uh, the connection rule here. This is pretty simple. I've heard this before, um, but I hadn't heard it for a while, so I thought it was worthy of sharing with people. Um, I fly a lot of United Airlines. They have hubs in San Francisco, Los Angeles, Denver, all pretty close, Uh, Houston, Chicago, Dulles, Newark, not so close, Um, not as many flights. So if you are hypothetically... This, what, what, what this rule is telling you is you want to get as far from home on the first leg as you can. Now, if you're flying from Sacramento, frequently, you're going international, you may have to f- have two connections. You may fly to one airport, like San Francisco, fly to a hub airport in Europe, let's say Frankfurt, and now you've got to take a one-hour flight to another European city. So it's not uncommon for there to be three flights if you're traveling internationally. Um, so in that case, obviously the first flight to San Francisco is a you know 30-minute thing, and there's not much that can be done about that. But then you want your next flight to be the flight that gets you into an international country. So it and the the theory behind that is this: Let's pretend for a minute that you're going to Madrid, and you're going Sacramento, San Francisco, Frankfurt, and then on to Madrid. I'm going to assume that there are a lot more ways to get to Madrid from Frankfurt than there are from San Francisco. So if you get hung up, you want to get hung up as close to your destination as possible. Now, when you're coming home, of course, then that's going to flip because in many cases you'll have to reverse your steps and you'll have to take the short flight first. But in some cases, it is possible, depending on the connecting airport and the airfares and stuff, to try to take that longer flight first. This, I think, is also really important if you're flying with children. 
because if you've got a 12-hour flight and a two-hour flight with a two- or three-hour layover and it's going to be arduous for kids or maybe you've got grandma with you or somebody for whom traveling is, is going to be a little bit of a, of a task, then you want to get that big, that, that big flight out of the way as soon on as possible. And the other thing is, this isn't even in my finger, but it just, just popped into my brain. If you're going to drink alcohol when you're flying, drink it as early as possible. And then follow up with some water and stuff when you get close to your destination. But if you're one of those folks that it takes you a couple of three stiff ones to fall asleep on the plane and, and sleep most of the way to Europe, good for you. Um, just make sure that you don't get too wasted because you're going to have to get up and go through customs and all of those things and, um, and, and be able to, to conduct yourself in, in a, a normal light when you get to, to wherever it is you're going. So anyway, longest flight first. If you're going in, it, frequently in this country, we have to make a connection from Sacramento. So if you're going to New York, um, perhaps you're trying to get to Chicago first. So that's the four-hour flight and then the one-and-a-half-hour flight to New York City. Again, all of this depends on weather and lots of things like that. So there are a lot of considerations there. But generally, it's a good thing to follow. Um, If you are flying with children and they have to put a mask on. Now, kids that are over two generally have to wear a mask. Um, Some ideas. um, This came from a New York Times article. Um, Flying with a small child is difficult enough to try to get one to keep their mask on. Um, Suggestions. Uh, put Have your child wear the mask before you get to the airport um, at about the same time of day as you're going to be flying. So if you're going to fly from 8 o'clock in the morning until 1 in the afternoon, start having your small, your toddler or your small kid wear, child wear a mask in the morning for 30 minutes and then for an hour, maybe for an hour and a half. Maybe there's a small reward system involved. Um, the longer that the child puts, keeps the mask on, maybe mommy and daddy are wearing a mask around the house too in order to get the child accustomed and, and so that they can see that it's not a bad thing to wear a mask. Of course, the younger the child, the more challenges that you're, you're going to have. Lots of people know that two-year-olds don't do anything that they don't want to, uh, but the reality is that once you get on an airplane, they're going to have to keep that mask on. So it's better to approach the situation before you get to the airport. I think good parents know this. But uh, grandma and grandpa, if you're flying with a four-year-old and this is the first time you've done it, then it's something that you want to get into a little bit before you get to the airport. In fact, this article suggested it might be a two-week planning situation. All right. Great advice. Great advice, Mark. All right. uh, Let's see. Coming up after the news, we're off to Tonopah, Nevada. And also we have a uh, special uh, update specifically for sports leisure vacationers and club members. So Mark will have that for you, and then, uh, and then later on in the program, we're going to step back from the baggage claim. It means more than what it sounds like. That's next here on the Travel Guys. Come away with me in the night. Welcome back to the second half of the Travel Guys. Come Cloudy Sacramento Sunday afternoon in January. Listen, a quick update here. For uh, the folks who travel with sports leisure vacations, um, this is a no update update. Uh, we are going to move our travel club updates to 335 in every show. And also I'm going to tell the folks who travel with our company that uh, next week we'll be sending out an electronic, a short electronic newsletter. 
So you can look for that. And if your computer is not set to receive email from sportsleisure.com, then you might take a look at that and make sure that it doesn't end up in your spam. Also, if you go to, for all the rest of our listeners, if you go to travelguysradio.com, you can find a big list of all of the folks who, uh, all of the uh, links to folks who are on the show this week and previous weeks and including some things that we didn't meant that we don't mention on the program travelguysradio.com it's mark and tom the travel and entertainment guys here on kfbk thanks for joining us brought to you by sports leisure vacations and mark you're you're big on taking road trips and have for many many years uh, you uh-huh. out, of, out of the way places and nevada is is kind of one of your your stomping grounds uh, tell us a little bit about it and tell us who we're going to be talking to this hour. well you know uh, tom about two-thirds of nevada is off the beaten track um, some of it is off the beaten track and then off the beaten track um, <laughs> tonopah would be one of those places tonopah nevada um, if you've ever driven between reno and las vegas you probably passed through tonopah would take you three four minutes at least because uh, you got to slow down to get through town. There's a great old hotel. Listeners to the Travel Guys have heard us talk about the Mizpah before and about how it's one of the most haunted hotels in the country. Uh, and there's some evidence to suggest that. And across the street has always been another hotel that was closed up. And the man who owned the, the, uh, the Mizpah said, you know, one day I've, we're going to open that over there across the street. And I've, I've bugged him for years because... His hotel, Ms. Paul, has mostly rooms with one bed. And as a tour operator, I need a hotel with some rooms with two beds. And so I get this lovely email a couple weeks ago saying, hey, the new, the, the old hotel is new again. The Belvada has opened. Am I saying that right, Nancy? Belvada or is it Belvada? Yes, you are. The Belvada Hotel. Okay. It's All right. Little, our guest, little Nevada, brought right in that name there, Belvada. Yeah, kind of. There our guest are. here is Nancy Klein. Mm-hmm. Nancy is um, with the two hotels that are right in the center of Tonopah. Um, Nancy, tell us a little bit about uh, the new hotel that's open across the street from the old caddy corner from the old hotel. Um, give us a rundown. Well, we're extremely excited to have opened uh, the Belvada. We opened it on. December 28th, uh, it's up and running. It was a three-year renovation uh, project. It was in pretty tough shape, a lot tougher shape than the Mizpah was when we uh, renovated that in 2011. And the, the Belvada has as, as interesting a history, of course, as the Mizpah. It, uh, it really was the first building. Uh, the Mizpah was the second brick building. The Belvada was built by uh, for a bank building, and it represented literally all the hopes and dreams that people had that uh, rural Nevada was going to be a hub uh, and represented their the mining success, the entrepreneurs who came to town to forge a life. Uh, all their dreams were really represented in the the building of the first five-story brick uh, permanent building here in in Tonopah. And so, Nancy, now that the now the two hotels are open, and of course um, they sit kind of sort of catty corner across the street. I, some people would say, well, it's insanity to open a hotel right now. Nobody is staying in hotels. 
But now you have two hotels there in in Tonopah. Now, I will, will tell you and, and our, our listeners about one of our visits to the Mizpah a few years ago. We, we have a tour of ghost towns of old, Nova, of old Nevada, and something I plan to do again, I think, next year. We're in the Mizpah, and John's talking to us, telling us all about the hotel and some of the strange things that have happened there about him leaving his office at night and locking the door and there's only a, two keys and coming back the next morning and finding half-smoked cigars and things like that laying around. And so I thought, well, that's all, you know, that's all fine and wonderful. And got home from one of our trips. One of my people who had traveled with us came into the office about 10 days later, and he said, I got something I want to show you. And he says, uh, he says, you know, we were out on that ghost trip and stuff. And he says, you know, I, I put me in the category of I don't believe in any of that stuff. He says, I went because my wife wanted to go. He says, but I want to show you these pictures. And he shows me we're standing in the lobby of the Mitzpah Hotel, and uh, John's talking to us about the hotel and some of the ghosts and things like that. And by golly, if you don't look in several of the pictures, and there are orbs in the background in the mirror. And the pictures taken before and afterwards don't have the orbs, but the, but the ones taken at that moment in time um, did have them. So I'm convinced that you have more than just the regular guests at the Mizpah, and they'll probably be going across the street. For people who are just thinking, I'd like to stay in a really cool, neat hotel, which one would you stay in? Well, we we are differentiating the, the two. Of course, Mizpah goes back to 1907 as a home uh, of hospitality for numerous people across this country and their relatives and we all know chuck yeager just passed he spent a lot of time here at the mizpah because he was stationed in tonopah so the mizpahs had a storied history the belvada is has really a history of the entrepreneurs the innovators the financiers all the people who tried to capture the the moment of success from the the mining and the excitement across this country. The Nevada Club, which is located in the Belvada, was voted one of the 10 best bars in the United States in 1910. So Tonopah was quite the, quite the place. And the yeah. Belvada has a more scale urban feel to it a little quieter a little more elegant in a um in a way where the mizpah i would say is the social hub i think they made the deals over at the belvada they got their money and they came to the mizpah to celebrate we are thrilled to have two hotels in tonopah we believe in rural nevada Nancy, does the Belvada also have ghosts? You know, I'm going to stay there tonight for the first time, and I can get back to you on that part. <laughs> uh, well, and, you know, Tom, we, the thing uh, is, if we don't ever hear from Nancy again. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll sort of answer the question. <laughs> yeah, we, oh, no, no, just call no, her no. husband up and ghosts are friendly a lot of the time. I mean, don't yeah. have to shed a bad light on them. Nancy, before we let you go here, um, we're, we've talked a little bit about these two. We're talking with Nancy Klein, who is with the Belvada and the Mizpah Hotel in Tonopah. And you're saying, gosh, where is Tonopah? Well, about halfway, roughly, between Reno and, and Las Vegas, 
Um, some great other little towns along the way. You could detour to Mammoth Lakes. You've got Goldfield and Gold Point and all kinds of – if you're a history buff or you like just exploring off the beaten track, heck, with the two hotels in Tonopah now, you might have to stay more than one night. Nancy, yeah. thanks very much for your time. Um, hello to all the folks in Tonopah. We will be back there as soon as it's safe, I promise. I can't wait to see the new old hotel. Great. We'll look for you. And thanks so much. We are the Travel Guys. Uh, check us out at TravelGuysRadio.com. Coming up next, Jason Barger, author, a motivational speaker, talks to us about Step Back from the Baggage Claim, his newest book. That's next here on the Travel Guys. This Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano. We are the Travel and Entertainment Guys, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations, here to make you a smarter traveler and entertain you along the way. We have the opportunity to uh, hunt down some special guests from time to time to to help us with that task. Mark, why don't you introduce who we're going to be talking with uh, this hour? Well, our guest is Jason Barger, and let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a motivational speaker and an author. And the thing that got in my eye was one of his books is called Step Back from the Baggage Claim, which in this case has more than one meaning, the obvious one and some other ones. Let me tell you just a little bit about, uh, introduce you to Jason here. He spent seven straight days flying over 6,500 miles to seven different cities in the United States, living only in the airports the entire time. Yes, he slept, he ate, everything in the airports. He studied 10,000 minutes of observations at all four corners of the U.S. and reflected on how our airport experiences can teach us about our lives today. The funny and inspiring stories remind us how to change our daily world in our personal lives, businesses, schools, and faith communities. I thought, Jason, this is just an outstanding idea. Welcome to the Travel Guys, Mr. Barger. Hey, guys. Good to be with you. So... What made you decide to write a book about the baggage claim and life? <laughs> I'm a strange guy. That's the first thing. I'm a strange guy. No, I, I uh, travel and air travel in particular had always been such a, uh, I don't know, just a powerful metaphor. I had been lucky to be leading a lot of different trips uh, over the course of my life, taking people to unique places to have uh, hopefully powerful experiences in their lives. And the whole time, I just the, the traveling metaphor uh, became really rich to me, and so I, I decided to be the strange guy, as you said, to actually sleep in airports and go seven cities in, in seven days, uh, but but to observe how, how is it that we move throughout the world, and and what were my kind of reflections on that? Well, and those of us who spend a great deal or are used to in the olden days. Uh, spend a great deal right. of time in places like airports, can identify with the fact that uh, you, you spend enough time in airports. Yes, life happens in airports pretty regularly. Unusual things, usual things, uh, things you've never seen before. Uh, Jason, you limited yourself as to the amount of money you spend. You slept in the airport. I mean, you could have gotten a hotel and eaten in restaurants and probably had the same experience. What made you decide to do it the way you did? I wanted to experience it just very raw and, and just very genuinely. Um, and, and I wanted to put myself in the environment. Uh, there's chaos. There's all the different things that are happening around us. There's obstacles. There's delays. There's cancellations. And oftentimes there's 
people are, are stressed out. So I, I wanted to be in that environment to observe it, but also to just, I wanted to experience it myself and to watch and see if some of my premises, uh, you know, if, if, if they came true to me and also just, uh, I wanted to be able to capture the stories and the experiences that I was, that I was having that, you know, those exact seven days in seven different cities across the U S. Jason, uh, besides writing this book, from what I understand, you're a motivational speaker. Is that correct? Yeah. So I, I what, what's been uh, what's been great and, and amazing about this whole from this step back from the baggage claim, which it never was only about airports. I mean, it was about this metaphor for everybody's been to one of those crowded baggage claims where the buzzer goes off and and everybody instinctively runs up and people start shoving these people out of the way. I mean, I watched this seven straight days in seven different cities, people knocking each other out of the way to claim their bag and, and people in a hurry and stressed out and, 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 and oftentimes, you know, so interested in claiming their bag first that I watched this in seven different cities in seven different days. And the metaphor and the way it became uh, to resonate with other people is this idea, what does it mean to step back and to maybe think about things differently, to slow ourselves down uh, to, to, to maybe take a moment to realize that maybe my bag isn't the most important, to shift from the idea of just claiming my own stuff to what does it mean to actually help the people around me, and to begin to actually try to see things from different perspectives of the other people that are also standing around the baggage claim. And, and so this metaphor, uh, fortunately, began to resonate with people uh, across the country and all around the world. And so the opportunity to speak about what does it mean to step back and and that began now uh, over a decade ago, and now that's led to uh, three, you know, two other books, um, and, and then uh, speaking and consulting with organizations around uh, leadership development and what is the culture that we are creating in the spaces that we move in and out of every single day, and how do we be more thoughtful about stepping back and thinking about how are we going to move and how are we committed to traveling with the people around us. So Jason's book, Step Back from the Baggage Claim, is actually, I mean, we were talking before the interview started, it's about 130 pages and pretty good size type. Yep. I mean, if you had a, a three or four hour delay someplace or a three or four hour flight, you could you could probably read the whole thing start to finish. And what it is, is it's a series of stories about encounters, people, places, things, as you went from, uh, it looks like you had Seattle, Los Angeles, uh, New York and Miami to get to all four corners of the country. Um, Jason, if you would share a, a, a story or a circumstance or somebody you met along the way that really made an impression on you. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll share just one quickly. There was a, in, I happened to be in Boston at the time. And uh, I, I, as you saw in the back of the book, I, I only gave myself a little bit of money each day uh, to spend on food. And so there I am sitting in this restaurant. And I'm sitting up right at, at the bar in this crowded a restaurant. I'm having I'm having a beer and I'm having a, a, a you know a sandwich or something, and this guy comes walking in and sits down at the, you know of these empty seats that are around the, the restaurant. He happens to just pick the one right next to me and comes up and sits right next to me, and he's he's this guy from clearly from northeast part of the United States. He's got this accent. He's immediately brash. He's you know, his language is foul. He, he is a very a brash guy and immediately just starts chatting me up. And all of a sudden, in the midst of a 20-minute encounter, 
of this guy just being very brash and, and uh, almost shocking me of the things he's sharing with me, all of a sudden he turns to me and almost in mid-sentence he stops and then he says, you know, my dad just had a stroke. And all of a sudden the entire nature of our conversation shifted. And here I am sitting next to this guy. I have no idea who he is. But my entire first impression of him in the first 10 minutes of our conversation and, and, and who this guy was and, and all the stories in the back of my head, I'm, I'm looking at him wondering who this guy is and where he's going. And all of a sudden, it all changed. And in a matter of minutes, he then went on to tell me about going to visit his dad who just had a stroke. He wasn't sure if this was the last time he was going to see his dad. And all of a sudden, it was clear that I don't know why he found me and why he came to sit <laughs> he chose that seat, but it was clear that this guy needed to share that story. And somehow I just became the guy who, who, who was either lucky or unlucky, depending on how you want to look at it. But I chose to look at it as lucky that I was the one that, that he chose to share it with. And it was just a quick reminder that every single person around us is carrying baggage of some sort. And we never fully know the, the stories of the people that are traveling right next to us. But in that moment, for some reason, to be able to, to get that and see that all of us, are on the way to something and have something that's important to us that we're carrying in our lives. And so it was a step back moment for me to kind of step back and to see this guy from a different perspective and also to, to listen to his story and realize there's more to his story than just the guy that I see the brash guy come walking into the restaurant. It was a powerful moment. We're talking with Jason Barter. He uh, has a book called Step Back from the Baggage Claim, as a few others as well. We all run into people when traveling that share stories with us. We share ours with them. I think the one of the takeaways from that is is that sometimes we want to just, like, put on our headphones and not engage. Please don't yep. talk to me while I'm on the plane. And you know what? You're doing – sometimes you're doing your fellow, your fellow men and women – uh, 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 misservice by not lending an ear, don't you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we all, I mean, we're all human and we all have moments where we want to sit down and certainly I, 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 you know, when I'm traveling and speaking and consulting with companies and organizations, I'm on, a, on and off a lot of airplanes. And so there's moments where I want to put my earbuds in and I want to just relax and, and a moment to myself. But I can tell you from writing that book, almost every single time that I, somebody interrupted me or sat next to me or then brought me up out of that space where I had to take my headphones out and actually engage with them. On that trip in particular, every time I did that, I walked away from the encounter learning something, uh, surprised by something, realizing there were connections in ways that I would have never found if I, if I hadn't interacted or engaged with them. Uh, there were amazing, uh, wow, this person knew this person, and somehow uh, it, it, just amazing things happened. So every time I chose to engage, good things happened. And the times that I didn't, I wonder what I missed out on. The title of Jason's book is Step Back from the Baggage Claim. Um, actually, that's one of his books. And we will put a link to his website um, at TravelGuysRadio.com. So if you're interested in that book, his other writings, or uh, if it's, if he sounds like the type of person that 
uh, might make a good motivational speaker for you. All of that information is there on his website. Jason, really appreciate uh, two things. Uh, first of all, you would take some time to talk to us uh, today here on the Travel Guys, but also the fact that uh, you took something that I think the whole airport experience that goes by most people and uh, found something in it that I think is would be useful to a lot of folks, and I, it's something that I can really identify with. Thank you for your time, and uh, thanks for writing the book. And if you have any interesting experiences along the way or something like that that relates to travel, keep us in mind. All right. Great to talk with you guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, oh, we're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. We're back. My gosh. Mark and I, would. I hope we didn't say anything inappropriate while no. we were chitty-chatting. I hope the, not. Uh, Listen, um, if, if you're a figure skating fan, go to TravelGuysRadio.com. There's a link to all of the figure skating virtual championships there. Dance like nobody's watching. We'll see you next week. All right, my friends. You stay well. Uh, and remember now, to go to TravelGuysRadio.com. Links to all the things that we talk about, as well as uh, lots of other cool stuff can be can be found there. So uh, when you get a couple of minutes, uh, uh, check it out. Uh, you'll also find a place where you can go there and uh, send the Travel Guys a and a If you have a question for uh, for Mark or I, particularly Mark, since he is really the, the expert travel guy, uh, go ahead and, and, and put your question. You'll see it to the right when you log on to the travelguysradio.com just put in your comment put in your question and uh, we'll uh, try to answer it on the radio okay in the meantime you stay well we'll see you next week right here on the travel guys at three o'clock